Are you a real estate investor looking to elevate your income, freedom, and lifestyle? If so, optimize your daily performance by downloading our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits at ElevatePod.com. In this guide, created by yours truly, you'll learn why you do what you do, how to easily institute cues in your environment to trigger desired behavior, directly applicable steps to create a fulfilling future, and much more. Get your free copy now at ElevatePod.com and kickstart your new habits today. Your future self will thank you. Welcome to Elevate the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here and I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting with Neil Timmons today. You are going to learn about the five reasons to invest in real estate today. We're going to bring it back to the basics from that regard, but we're going to go into many sophisticated approaches in terms of how you can develop a diversified real estate portfolio that can allow you to live the life of your dreams. You're also going to learn from a tremendous story about how Neil really went from middle class, a, you know, actually went from kind of a, a football player who didn't really, uh, couldn't compete the way that he thought he could in college. Uh, to observing Warren Buffett and what he did to now creating and growing a tremendously expansive real estate portfolio. There's a lot to learn from today's episode. I want to encourage you to buckle up. Elevate Podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chester. I'm a professional real estate investor and high-performance coach. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar today. And if it's your first time listening, thank you. Welcome to listening to Elevate. You are part of Elevate Nation. If you've been here before, welcome back. Each and every person listening today, the fee for listening is just to pay it forward and share this episode with a friend. Just share it with one person. It doesn't even have to be a friend. Just share it with one other person uh, because the only way we can continue to grow this podcast is if you spread the word. So I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here and spreading the word and paying that fee. Also want to ask you to give us a rating, review, and subscribe or follow Elevate Podcast if you haven't already done so on whatever platform it is that you enjoy listening or watching podcasts. And that's it. I'm keeping it simple today. With all that said, let's dive in. I want to introduce you to Neil Timmons from Des Moines, Iowa. In 2004, Neil was a banker. That same year, his mother had her debut as a realtor. She made twice what he made. You're going to learn about this in today's episode. It was then that Neil knew he had to move to real estate. Neil's entry point into the industry was as a realtor with Remax. His team was recognized by the Wall Street Journal as a top 100 team, and he was the number one Remax agent in Iowa by the age of 29. Longing to quit forfeiting time for dollars, Neil moved into real estate investing. While he still owns a company that completes wholesale novation and rehab transactions, Neil's passion is cash flow investing in commercial real estate. Like so many other investors, Neil began with a single family homes, but has progressed in assets consisting of apartments, offices, and industrial space. Over the course of his career, Neil has been involved in over $300 million in real estate transactions. In 2021, Neil published his first book, Unicorn Hunting for Real Estate Investment Companies, How to Easily Attract screen and land a unicorn. The book is tailored to helping real estate investors find and retain top talent through the strategic systemization of hiring. 
Neil also hosts his own podcast, Real Grit, where he pulls back the curtain on real estate investing through interviews with industry titans. Real Grit provides listeners with the tools they need to secure their lasting real estate legacy. Recently, Neil and his team launched the Legacy Impact Partner Program, where the partner where they partner and with fix and flip investors from around the country. Neil's team brings in capital to fund and fix rehabs, operational expertise, and years of experience catapulting their partners' businesses to new heights. So without further ado, please enjoy this insightful, this educational, and this fun conversation with Neil Timmons. Neil Timmons, welcome to Elevate, my friend. How are you? I'm great, Tyler. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome, man. And I, I really appreciated uh, just a few moments there with you prior to the show. Uh, I have a feeling this is going to be a really good one. And I just, you have this natural podcasting feel. Obviously, you have a podcast yourself. Yeah, this is almost right. like, you know, this is your life. In many ways, obviously, you've got a, a big real estate business, but it's fun to be on with another podcaster. Does that resonate with you? Yeah. I to uh, yes. Because uh, as you can imagine, once in a while, you hit, uh, although all guests are good guests, once in a while, you hit somebody, you're like, Okay, well, now I gotta, I gotta fill a little more time. <laughs> I, <laughs> I know. Gotta, I gotta you were keep asking up. me. There, there's, you know, I, I, I love the conversations that are just organic. You're just sitting at the bar or sitting at coffee, having a drink, and it just, it just free flows. Like going to a conference and you get done with the conference and you're talking, you're mingling, it just free flows, and that's, that's what I love. And but you can imagine being there, and some conversations flow a little differently. <laughs> well, so that's a good framework to think yeah. about this conversation. It's like, all right, well, we're at a, let's say we're at a real estate conference yeah. and we're in the hallway and we're sharing ideas. And obviously, yeah, we can go and read the market report and understand what's trending in different markets and what asset classes are doing what and what risk, you know, what, what, what's going on with interest rates. And I'm sure we'll talk about some of these projections, but you and I, we stepped into the hallway. And so now we've got maybe some other folks who are kind of listening yeah. into our conversation. So that's actually a pretty cool thought process. What do you think yeah. about that? Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's perfect. And I think it's, uh, I, I think it's fun and just, it's going to make for fun dialogue. I'm excited about the conversation here. Well, and one of the things that you do at a conference is you get to know somebody, right? So Correct. you and I, let's say we've just met each other at the conference. Yeah. We're, you know, we've got similar goals and trajectories in our business. We're looking to learn certain things. We're looking to connect with certain people. We have goals for what we're looking to accomplish at this conference. Yeah. But I think the central theme of real estate, as well as anything like that would be to get to know each other. So if you were to describe yourself, and I, I probably wouldn't do this, uh, by the way, if I just met you at a conference, I probably sure. wouldn't ask you this question to get started. But if you were to describe yourself in the way that the people that know you best would describe you, this is yeah. like my way of really getting to know you deeply, you know, to the core. What would you say about that? And how would yeah. you describe yourself from another person's vantage point? Uh, I'll just restate it. How do my how do my best friend and then maybe how do the, how do my team here? How, how would they describe me if you were to yep. ask? That's it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, driven funny, but in a dry, very dry sense. Um, half the time, they don't even know that I'm telling a joke till they leave. <laughs> then, then they get it and they're like, oh, I see what he did there. Uh, very creative in problem solving. And then from a team standpoint, well, certainly my friend's standpoint, I mean, I care a lot. So it's tough to either you're on or you're, you're off. You're in, mm -hmm. you're in my circle. That makes sense. So, mm -hmm. uh, which, which means, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you the truth. If you ask, a, if you ask a question, you're going to get, you're going to get an honest answer on now how that gets delivered is obviously a little different, but um, <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be an honest, you know, when you, you started that, you're like question. driven, funny. Mm -hmm. I thought you were going to go handsome, you know, muscular buff. <laughs> I didn't know where you're going with this, but uh, uh, it uh, is 
<laughs> only, I, only I would describe myself that way. <laughs> that's oh, not the question it. you asked, though. Yeah, yeah, no, that's funny. <laughs> but it is, it is a pattern that I see. I mean, the first, the first adjective is driven. I mean, I think that yeah. you have to be driven to do big things in this business. To you know, be, if you if you want to succeed in the long haul, you have to be passionate about your ambition, uh, passionate about your ambition. Because man, we were just talking about it before. It's like. We, we both have a lot going on. We're both doing deals, that yeah. kind of stuff. And, you know, yeah. they can be challenging, right? You're on sure. the battlefield yep. and it's like, whoa, yeah. wait a minute. You know, it's like we're getting our, our heads beat in and we have to take a step back and say, hey, what's this all for? Hey, you know, what are we learning? What are we gaining from this circumstance? But I think the the key part is that drive. Would you agree about that? I, I totally agree. Without without that drive, without an intestinal fortitude, what is, you're never going to get through it. You mm-hmm. should just go punch a clock for somebody else. Cause it's way easier. It's way easier. You're not going to, it's not going to be successful, right? I mean, the rewards aren't there, but that's what driven people say. I think way, way easier. Way easier. I mean, I've done it before and, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's not, by the way, it's not for everybody. Like, no, you know, and there's nothing wrong invest- with that though. There's nothing wrong no. with that. No, exactly. Right. There's nothing. It, so like, we don't have to say, all right, everyone should be like us. Everyone should be just core driven like crazy. Correct. Like, yeah. I mean, it's hard to do what we're doing and it's hard, you know, look, choose your hard too. <laughs> that's that's my well, thing. That's like, your spot on there. Choose your hard. Cause it's either this or you can go work for somebody else and it will be way easier, but there's some, there's some things you're going to miss out on. They'll be hard in a different way. That's it. You know, it's like, you know, living an average life can be hard too. Right. Correct. It's just a different heart. Give me a sense well, of your upbringing. Well, I, your su- I suspect, I suspect for you, much like for me, that's impossible. It is because it's, because it's unacceptable. That's exactly right. Well, yeah. you know, one of the things that I've learned and maybe you've recognized this yourself, but I don't know, maybe the past I've been in this business for almost 10 years and maybe you've been in the business longer. I want to know yeah. your history and we'll, yeah. we'll talk about that today. Yeah. In the beginning, it was overwhelmingly uncomfortable. It was like sure. pushing a boulder up a mountain every yeah. single day. And it was like, whoa, am I going to go bankrupt? Is this good? Is this bad? Like, do I know what I'm doing? Am I sure about this? And it was like, whoa. And of course, I still have those feelings. Let me let me just be clear. Yeah. yeah. But it gets better and you almost find comfort in that. Like, it sounds weird and goofy, but it's like you find comfort in this extreme discomfort. Uh, I've said it and you'll, you'll agree here. Growth comes on the other side of uncomfortable. Yep. You got to get there. Hundred percent, yeah, and you yeah. you embrace it. So once you see that, and then you look back and say, okay, now I, now I have a reference point, and that is true. I did read it in a book, but yeah. now I saw it in my life. Yeah, that's when you start to say, okay, well, let's do that again. I seek out knowing and accepting that. I, I mean, as a result, how it plays out. I mean, I seek out rooms where I have to be uncomfortable. I don't. I want to be. I want to be the dumbest person in the smartest room. Hmm. That's another because pattern. It, when it's the other way around, I'm not going the right direction. So tell me about your upbringing, your backstory. Yeah. Give me yeah. a sense of where you came from, and what life was like growing up. Des Moines, Iowa, so smack dab in the middle of uh, of this of this country. And what's interesting, you know, I did I didn't have a true appreciation, and I think it's challenging as a child that didn't have a true appreciation for what Des Moines is. How does it compare to the rest of the world? You you, you go on vacation, you're like, oh, let's move there, Dad. Let's move to Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Dad. What are Every we doing? day we'll be at Disney World, right? Uh, <laughs> And so, you know, progress forward as an adult, and I've, I'm here still. Uh, I've got a tremendous appreciation for what this place is and the people that are here. Uh, it is an idyllic place to raise children, terrific. Um, just, it's just a wonderful place, really great place. So, growing up, 
I was big into sports. So I'm the, I have three brothers. I'm the oldest. And all we did was, you know, I don't know how my mom survived. We would just break everything and just very <laughs> physical. I don't know how many holes ended up in a wall. We look like a house that, you know, some of us may buy. <laughs> <laughs> Because you it was it, just, you buy it. <laughs> yeah, it was just it was just that that type of environment, very rough. And uh, my neighbor across the street, Mason, a, a year older than me, I'm six five. He was probably six eight. We just bat, we just played basketball. I mean, all the time. It's the opposite of what you see kids doing today, right? They end up with their phone, a little, a little too much of this, right? We were just outside all the time. So played sports, played football through high school. He ended up at the University of Nebraska at Omaha. Division two school there, the Mavericks, and played. I was an offensive tackle. That's how I ended up over there. Coming through school, I can tell you, I, I like, I coasted all the way through K through twelve. Uh, but you know, my wife gives me a hard time today as we as my kids are now go to the same high school and my eldest in the same high school that I grew up going to or my wife went to, and then occasionally, hey, Dad, what was your GPA? And I'd say hey, my GPA was eligible. <laughs> I was, I was football eligible. And so I, I get to college, I show up a day one and I'm literally the smallest lineman on this team. Wow. And, I, and I, pardon my language. I just get the absolute crap beat out of me coming into this. And I was like, I, I left high school loving football. I mean, literally wanting to play for like ever I get to, I get to a weekend college and I'm like, this is terrible. <laughs> it's wow. not because of the work it's because i realize uh i'm not i'm not good um i i i've left i was a big fish in a small pond in high school and that's almost true of everybody you play at the next level you want to go to the next level nfl i mean that you're talking about percentages at that point I, I wasn't good i learned real quick i'm talking like within weeks before school even started in college i was like uh, i gotta get serious about school <laughs> so did you uh, did you uh, actually quit not, football or what happened no, I played, I played one year, full year, and that was it. You were like, I'm out. I gotta do I gotta get better at school because this uh, is I, not gonna work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had a full scholarship, uh, but uh, candidly for for the school I went to, extraordinarily affordable. You can just go get a part-time job and it paid about the same as a scholarship. So it wow. wasn't that it was, dollars and cents wise, it wasn't that big a deal from a from a real cost standpoint. And I got serious about school. Being in Omaha dramatically impacted my life because it's the home of Warren Buffett for three and a half years. And so eventually I ended up graduating early, graduated uh, with, with the double major, graduated in three and a half years. But for every day for three and a half years, I drove by Warren Buffett's personal house. Really? I read a whole bunch of things about Warren Buffett. I had no idea who he was until I got there. And in like within two weeks of being there, my first first semester, you go business intro class, you're going to, you know who Warren Buffett is. And so, so because of that, yeah. so you're, you're transitioning, your identity is transitioning yeah. from a football yeah. player to like, right. okay, well now I got to focus on academics. And then you're yeah. like, I'm surrounded by the Oracle of Omaha. That's right. You know, one of the most iconic investors of all time. So you're like, yes. well, let's learn about this investing thing, I guess. Correct. Yeah. You're exactly right. Interesting. And literally. I mean, his house is three blocks from school. I mean, just, just an right average there. house, right? Uh, yeah. It, I would say, I would call it above average. It has, I can, I can tell you from then uh, about, you know, let's say 20, 22 years ago when I was in school to today, although it's the same house, it has changed. There is a, there are very different security measures today than when I drove by, you know, how I learned about it was Warren's house. I heard about, well, about where it was, didn't know exactly where it was. So I literally was driving around the neighborhood. The mailman was right there and I just pulled over and I go, Hey, <laughs> which house is Warren Buffett's house? 
And so literally, he's like, oh, that one right over there. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Hilarious, huh? That is you, hilarious. Uh, I suspect that would not occur today. <laughs> yeah, the privacy measures were uh, limited yeah. then. Yeah, I would call it above average, but it's not, you know, it is not in the upper 10% of, of house values in, in a city. Okay, so that's that's probably what I'm getting at is, yes. you know, yeah. the guy's worth, what, $100 billion? Yeah, I mean? so r- ridiculous. If his home was a million bucks, plus or minus, that's about it. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. that, that puts it in context. Yeah. Yeah. So you're driving by the house. You're like, okay, this is interesting. The guy's doing some big things. You're kind yeah. of diving into this whole investing world. Where did you start? I mean, you started reading books. Obviously you were in school, but give us a sense yeah, of where was, you start. Yeah. So I was in school and I just, I consume myself of the, the kind of the stock market stuff, mm-hmm. value investing. Benjamin Graham wrote the, the book on value investing. That was Buffett's um, mentor. The intelligent those, investor, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All those, all those many years ago. Uh, and so, you know, I just started reading all that. And I'll tell you what you think, you know, and I thought the same thing you just said, that it was an uphill battle in real estate. But in, in that world, it's like, in my mind, it's still night and day. It's still a ridiculous amount of things that one has to get their head wrapped around. Mm-hmm. There are so many moving pieces. So I, I dove into that, really got into it. My junior year, there became a, 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 let's call it a little club. It was formed by one of the uh, professors there and they were starting a club on investment dollars. So what they, this, this professor's idea was, Hey, let's get real dollars and cents and let's actually invest. And so it became, it wasn't even a class. It literally was like, here's we're we're part of this. We're part of this club that was hand selected by a professor. She picked uh, six of us. And so I was the, there was, there was five seniors and then one junior, me. And so, so what did you guys invest in? What were you looking at? So what, what ended up happening is we raised dollars. We raised dollars from, um, an alumni, one person donated a million bucks. Wow. This was been in, uh, let's say a plus or minus about six months, say the year 2000, donated a million bucks. And then we had a standard in which we were to invest in. Everybody picked a different methodology of which to invest in. So I, of course, picked Buffett methodology, which which had a lot to do with um, return on equity, return on assets, various, primarily return on equity, various standards in which we would invest in. So other people picked different methodologies and then we bring them to each other. We had a formal vote. We bring them in and make an argument, pitch a stock, just like you would in an investment committee. It was ultimately what it was. And then thumbs up, thumbs down. And then after that largely ran one semester, again, it wasn't a course. It was just like, you're in a club of people who chose to do this because all of us were like freaks about just wanting, wanting to learn more, do more. And so that's what we did made a pitch. And then at the end of the semester, they put new people on this, on this committee and it would, it would move on to somebody else. We would turn the tides over. So just curious, yeah. was it for the benefit of the university that this yeah. individual donated a million dollars? Was this the benefit? I mean, was he looking for, I mean, he wasn't looking for investment advice from you guys as students, right? No, 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 no. Cause he gave up the money. It was not his anymore. Correct. Got he it. gave it as a donation to the benefit of people like me who could learn from this. And then what the idea being that the profit, the proceeds over a period of time would be donated back in scholarship form. Did you ever meet this guy? I did not know he was out of Texas. He was a retired Colonel. Uh, we, we spoke with him um, multiple times on, on phone calls, conference calls, but never met him face to face. That's awesome. What did you learn from that experience? I'm sure you learned many things, but what, what really stands out? 
you know, you probably get this, uh, that uh, group think is not as smart as you think it is. Mm -hmm. that, that's, that's a big one is that you get all these five people in the room and you think they'd like level up to the smartest one or all of our brain power together would somehow be greater. And it was like, we, we reduced. <laughs> is it because the blind was leading the blind or what? Um, part of that, you know, the professor was there providing that. And I think part of that, yeah, lack of experience, you know, today, think about, think about certain businesses you're in or, or what you're around. It was like, you know, I'm not going to respectfully, oh, I've got a tremendous team and it's because the right people in the right seats, but that doesn't mean that they're necessarily qualified to do what I do. And I sure as heck am not qualified to do what they do. So there's certain pieces that I, I'm not asking their advice and they should definitely not ask my advice. Mm -hmm. So maybe you didn't have the right team members in the right yeah, seats. Is that yeah, why? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's part of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, you know, I think had we been there or had I been there for, or any of us over a longer period of time, over a semester, because there's only so much you can accomplish in you know, four months. Mm -hmm. Cause you didn't get to see that thing full circle. I don't know what, you know, my stock recommendation, you know, I didn't get to see that thing to go when, you know, when they're doing these reviews uh, once a year or twice a year, where, where, what happened? What was the, you know, what are the exit triggers that go into that trade? Yeah. And there's so much more of a, an opportunity to learn when you have your own skin of the game and when you're yeah. seeing it through the long haul. Cause that's what, I mean, the real learnings happen through cycles, through, Correct. you know, through seasons, yeah. you know, it's right. like, let's see it through. Co let's Correct. Pivot. That. And then, you know, if you, if, if, if an exit came around and that got traded out, no matter if I voted to put it in or not, you know, there could have been a study done at that point in time where, where, you know, a small case study. From the professor standpoint, uh, okay, well, let's roll back and re how did this get in? What was it? What were the decisions? What were the arguments to get it in? And why is it leaving out? What transpired along the way? What can we learn? And then can we make any any changes going forward to make sure this doesn't happen again? Or if it was successful, that it does happen again. So that's it seems like the the common entrance to the investing world is kind of what you described. It's stocks, bonds, mutual funds, you know, it's paper assets. At what point did real estate become a part of your world? So I get out of, I get out of college. I end up landing my first job with Wells Fargo as a personal banker, which is like not investing. Um, <laughs> not, it wasn't, yeah, not quite the easiest thing to do uh, in the. It was two thousand and one to go get a job. Mm -hmm. And so I, I get there and plug away at that a couple of years. And I've naturally, you know, sales has been in my DNA and hard work's been in me. I mean, I was just born that way. You know, I grew up at a, at a Catholic school and they'd have all these contests, you know, go, go sell these. Here's your catalog of 10, 10 cookies or whatever to go sell. And then the first prize gets it. I'm like, all right, I got it. <laughs> part of that is part of that is just being hyper competitive with, with three brothers and playing sports ever since yeah. born essentially. And so I get into Wells Fargo and they have all these standards for sales. And, you know, and inside of two years, I'm, you know, in the top two in the state out of a hundred and some odd bankers. And so I get progress there and I'm like, all right, you know what? It's, I'm getting to the point where it's time to, time to make a change about a year prior to that. Uh, my mother and I were having a conversation and she, she raised all of us stayed home and she was at a point where everybody's out and it's time to go do something. She's like, I don't know what I, I should do. I feel like, you know, I want to get active. She, she had volunteered, done a lot of things at school, but it was time to go do something, you know, more material for herself. And I said, what, what about, uh, what about being a realtor? You, you love people. 
talk all the time. You love houses. Why don't you just marry the two and go be a realtor? She thought about it for like a couple of seconds. She's like, I'm going to do it. <laughs> so she went, she literally was like, all right, I'm in. She, she went, did the whole thing, got, became a realtor. And uh, a, a year goes by and she makes about twice what I make at working at Wells Fargo. So this, you're like, this, okay, this, that's interesting. This, this woman, uh, and she, I mean, she earned it, but I'm thinking to myself, gee, I just, you know, I go to school, go out, get a job, do all these things, uh, work for somebody else. And my mom, you know, hasn't worked in 20 some odd years, makes twice what I make. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, that's, that's what I'm going to do. And so that's my entry point into real estate is I became a real estate agent. Got it. And you started selling houses at yep. that time, correct? Yep. yep. So was that immediate? Like your mom did it and you're like, okay, uh, now yeah. I'm doing it. Like a year this. later. Yeah. Wow. Were you yeah, guys on the same team or what did no, that look like? No, no, because we would not work well together. <laughs> we, we, you know, you, you can have conversations together and, but then from a day-to-day standpoint, it's like, all right, you're on your own. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So no, so, we worked, we worked at the same company, but different offices. So I, I physically, I almost never saw her. So you started building a real estate sales business. Yeah. And how long before you actually started investing in real estate? I would say about five years. We have a similar background. I mean, I got in the business as a, as a salesperson as well. And I didn't know anything about, it. I don't know if you felt this way. Uh, I didn't know anything about real estate. When I thought of the words real estate, the first yeah. picture that came to my mind was a single family home. And yeah. it was a realtor selling that home to you. And it's like, that was real estate. Like right. I didn't even see, like when I looked around a commercial bill, I never occurred to me that that is also real estate. It didn't never occurred to me that a vacant piece of land is also real estate. And there's yeah. all these other things. Did that, was that your experience as well? Yes. You know, I remember growing up, my, uh, I was five years old. My parents moved to a brand new home, like on, like almost as far West as the the new development was. And I just remember growing up out there, but year after year after year, my dad driving around, driving us all, getting the station wagon, all with the wood panel on the side. What a killer ride that was <laughs> and driving around. I mean, just would drive everywhere and like, see all this growth. There was so much growth taking place that had taken place from when I was five to when I was 18, same house, um, apartments, the whole nine. And so I, I totally agree with you, but I, what I recall as a child is going, somebody is a city builder, like all this stuff came together and you have no idea how or, or what, or what it is. Um, but I just remember being someone enamored by that about, but from city builders, I would just call it, you know, that just means anybody who built anything. Really. Yeah. yeah, it is interesting to think back as a kid. I mean, I was similar. I, I would see, you know, a new development come together and I would just think that that was the greatest thing ever. Yeah. But I never I didn't piece those things together until way, way later yeah. uh, in my life after I had started to build this business. Sounds like you as well. So like over five years selling homes, obviously yeah. you became pretty substantial within Remax, right. Right. obviously doing big things. Uh, give me a sense of that trajectory as well as the decision to then start investing in real estate. Yeah. So when I started off and I had no idea what I was doing my first year. So I just did everything. And literally, I, I think the second listing I ever took was two blocks from my house. And I signed documents at 1130 PM. And that was the first time I realized, you know, you had the super lock boxes, right? Mm-hmm. That was the first time I realized there was a time code on them and you couldn't open them at certain hours of the day. <laughs> I, I had no idea. I, I was like, that. I was like, why won't this thing open? I want to put this box out. Um, so, I mean, I just, I, I, I was grinding, man. I worked 355 days my first year in the business. 
Wow. I just did anything and everything. And so, I mean, you, you work that much at just anything, staying focused on it. You're going to get some success. And that's what I had. And then eventually I got a mentor, understood things like systems and structure and plans, like right, where are we going? How are we doing that? What works? Measurables, right? KPIs, tracking things, and then got a lot of trajectory going from that regard. Found myself, you know, I mentioned earlier on being the dumbest guy in the smartest room. I was in, I was the first person to bring Google AdWords to advertise on Google AdWords in my city. And that, that only occurred by getting in other rooms with other folks on largely on the coast who were, who were doing things, who stay, who were just ahead of the curve. And so we were getting, oh, dude, I mean, it was, it was silly. Well, how much um, leads were costing us leads I'm talking name, phone number, email address. Somebody raise their hand goes, I'm looking for houses under six bucks. Wow. And we'd get hundreds a month. Which are turning into, I mean, $10,000 a pop, thousands, right? Thousands, thousands, thousands. Yeah. Right. So, wow. you know, I was 29 years old, became the number one Remax agent in the state of Iowa, which blew me away. Cause you know, I'm, I came up through the business, uh, see, seeing all these people, people have been a, a legends in this industry. Um, and still to this day and, and out selling them, it was, I mean, somewhat mind boggling. So did you go through the experience like me where that one of those first big tax bills came and you're like, hold on oh, yeah, a man. second. Yeah. When 355 you're like, days of toiling effort and ingenuity. And here you go. Yeah. When you get the tax bill, that's more than you made in the previous year. It's awful. Yeah, right. From the W2 job. You're like, are you kidding me? Right. Yeah. Right. 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 And then you, you know, get in and eventually... I did a number of things from a tax planning standpoint that, that worked from a 401k standpoint, self-directed IRAs, some things there helped, but I should have been more diligent about investing and really what that means. I was at a point where my first entry point to investing was fix and flip. And I, and you know, let's call it what it is. I'm going to use that in quotes. It's investing. I mean, it's kind of investing, but it's mm -hmm. kind of like buying a car and selling to somebody else at a different price. I mean, that's it's a little that's, bit like hot potato, you know, correct. <laughs> I mean, Musical chairs. <laughs> correct. I mean, it's just, it's an assembly line. We, we've got a raw product that's coming in the back door. And in this case, it's a dented and scratched house. And we're doing a bunch of stuff to it. And it's going out the front door at a retail price. And it's earned income. It's a job. It's, that's what I mean. That's that, what I mean by, that's why I'm using it in quotes to go. I mean, it, it's not really investing. Yeah, no. And, and so, you know, I don't know if you experienced Maybe this. Maybe it kind of is. It's like day trading, right? It is. It, it, it kind of, I mean, there's certainly, there's a, there's a strategy, there's yes. an approach, you know, you yes. force and you can read the market, you can read the valuation and so forth. And obviously yep. there's a, Correct. there's a spread. Yep. Um, so there's a business case. Is it Correct. investing? I don't know. You know, if we can yeah, really right. get granular yeah, in the definition. Yeah, right. Yep. That's fair. But you know, one of the things that I did, and I don't know if this happened to you is like, yeah. I, you know, I, so like you, I hired a coach and I'm, I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm reading books. And I come across this little purple book called rich dad, poor dad. And I'm yep. reading, I'm like, wait a minute. I'm selling these things. Like what is going on? I'm selling yeah. these assets that are producing income streams. So give me a sense of, did you have a similar experience uh, like me or was yours different in terms of no. stepping into real I, investing? I, I was scared. I was scared that a tenant's not going to pay. It's going to trash the place. Uh, you know, they're going to bring hoarders in. How am I going to manage it? They're going to call me at two in the morning with a clogged toilet and I wouldn't even fix my own toilet. So what am I going to do with their <laughs> toilet? Um, 
No, it was terrible. I mean, I just everybody told me that too, by the way. They're like, oh, you know, if you buy that, you're they gonna all have to fix say it. it. These tenants are horrible and Correct. you're going to have so many toilets. They're going to call you at 1 a.m. every night, just so you know. Like that's yeah. what I, that would, they would tell me. Correct. Yeah. So, no, I was at a point where I just got to a spot where it was time to make a change. And a change meant either I'm going to continue on this path of fixing and flipping on occasion. And then also being a real estate agent, which just means, you know, I mean, you're flipping to a different degree, right? You're just, you're just trading time for dollars. It's all we're doing. And so I was at a point where I was going, all right, well, you know what, let's try one. Let me just buy one. I, I mean, I've got, I'm within a financial capacity to go. If I just buy it correctly on the way in and then let's see what happens. And so I was at, I went to lunch one day with a guy I brought into the, the real estate business. He had since departed my team doing great. We're still friends this day. And so he's going, Hey, I got this property coming up and it's dented and scratched. Great suburb. Um, it, it, he's like, I probably won't make a flip because the numbers are probably too tight, but it probably make a good rental. And I said, well, dude, just, he said, I, I'm going to put it live tomorrow. Here are the keys. <laughs> so I went and saw it. I was like, cool. I sent him the offer before I went on the market and ended up buying it. And that was, that was five years ago, five years, four months ago, that that's when I bought my first rental. So did you already have a tenant in place? Did you have to rent the place? You have to fix it yeah. up or was it, no, I had, it was I had cash flowing immediately? No, I had to go. I put 30 grand into it. I had to go do work and get it into a spot where it was, where it was ready to go. And then put a tenant in place. Do you still own that place today? Yeah. And I freaking love that house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that and then, you know, obviously, you know, what none of us really could have predicted. You know, I was 170, let's call it 173, all in, all done. It's probably 300 grand today because of what's mm -hmm. taking place. I mean, it's yeah. insane, right? Right. Yeah. And, and that's and, and it so I'm 170 all in. I, I'm able to put I put long-term debt on a thing, put it eventually in a 30-year fixed rate. I've refinanced it. Uh, and I, you know, I don't know, I'm probably I probably got a buck fifty on the debt on the note on the thing, and it's three and a quarter, three and three eighths, somewhere in that range on the debt. And that thing today rents for 1850. You know what I'm surprised about is, well, I'm not surprised about this. I think it's mm -hmm. something to point out people yeah. who have come from a similar background to what you and I have yeah. come from in terms of being an agent, you almost get addicted to that, that earned income or forfeiting oh. the, the time for dollars. You get addicted to that because you talk about, you can earn big dollars. Obviously you've got a huge tax Correct. you know, sort of bracket. Um, but you get addicted to that. And I find that most people never get out of that and they uh, never get to a point where they become the other side uh, of it. I'll take it one step further. I think it's the, not so much the dollars. I think it's the deal, getting the deal together, mm -hmm. getting the deal because there is a high that occurs when, when, what, right. You get a mad dopamine hit, you get a deal together. You're like, cool. I just put, I, I just outdid whoever and you know, there's three offers. I got mine done and you sell, you do that 30, 40, 50, hundred, 200 times a year. Mm -hmm. And it is crack. So that's why I'm surprised that you were able to break that addiction. So what, what did you go through to be able to break that addiction? Yeah. I think I just always knew that there's, there's no way I can do this forever, that there's just no way that, and you, you make, you do that enough, you make enough money. You're like, what am I going to do with this money? Yeah. I mean, the stock market at some point turned scary for me. And that's largely because I don't have a really good, I mean, I have a conversational understanding and I can go deep 
or a little past surface level with certain subjects, but other things I'm like, I, it just seems so weird. So, so nebulous to know, I'm not really sure exactly what it looks like and a house or an apartment or a commercial property feels more like one's in control. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor, then we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a national real estate investment firm founded by myself and my business partner, Brian Flaherty. CF Capital's mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors like you maximize their returns by investing in high value multifamily communities. If you are looking for risk adjusted alternative investments in quality apartment communities, are seeking tax optimized cash flow with appreciation upside without all the hassles of management, you might benefit from learning more about investing alongside our team. You're invited to reach out and learn more about how you can invest with us by visiting cfcapllc.com. We're also currently offering a free ebook called The Bottom Line, 10 Ways to Increase Cash Flow in an Apartment Complex. Whether you're a new or experienced investor, we're confident you'll find massive value in this resource. So go get your free copy today at cfcapllc.com. And now please enjoy the rest of the show. That's what they say, man. It's tangible. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, you can touch it, you can feel it, you can see it. Um, but you know, like you, it's like, I, I just knew that this wasn't a sustainable lifestyle. And so right. I was like looking at, okay, well, how can I not only do what the wealthy do, but how can I live a lifestyle that's sustainable, that allows me to experience more than just the high of a deal? Because, you know, that's, yeah, there's more to life. I mean, that's, that, there's no doubt it's fun. It's fun even as an investor to, yeah. you know, to, to experience right. a feeling of, Hey, you know right. what? We beat out the competition. We exceeded our projections. Yeah. This is amazing. This is great, but there's right. more to life. Correct. Well, that, and you know, I, I've sold a whole bunch of things in part-time jobs coming to this, you get into real estate and in, in, in single family homes. And to me, looking back, I'm going, I, you know, at one time I thought it was a holy grail, but I'm, I'm suggesting that it's, that it's not, that there is something for me that was way past that to be able to do, to be able to participate in, to be able to impact others. And the idea of how many, how many years is one going to work 355 days? I mean, it's on for me and my lifestyle. And then, and then my, my wife and three kids, it was, just, it was not going to happen. Well, so, I call it scaling your expertise. And so that's kind of what yeah, I did. It's like, let's yeah. scale our expertise so that you can develop and strengthen systems, teams, processes, and replicate Yes. you know, what you've done on a bigger scale yep. and have the ability of making an impact. So I'd love to know from your trajectory there for the first house, like yeah. where did it go over the following five years to today? Like what did the, what did the process look like? What did the investment thesis look like? What does that look like today as well? Yeah. So early on it was, it was going, well, how can, how can I buy it and fit, fit this buy matrix? I got, and for me, it's, I got a buy ride. I'm not going to, there needs to be a discount. Because I need, I I've always want to build on a margin for for air and in a margin for safety. So air on my standpoint, in in the projections and a remodel, whatever that air may may show up as. By the way, that's so important. I just wanted to just yeah. quickly. I mean, the margin is like. I mean, things are priced to perfection in today's market. You have to look harder. You got to go deeper to find Correct. deals that have margin. So I appreciate yeah. that reminder. Yeah, yeah, that, and then you know, from a from a a risk safety standpoint, what if just buying it correctly? And then, you know, I, I started going in and, and morphing my business to go, all right, I'm like 90, 10 real toward to investor. Now, how can I, what's it going to take to move there? And so it's a lot of direct to seller marketing. I think I bought, I have purchased house wise, maybe two homes in the last five years off 
on on the market, meaning through a realtor, myself, and, and hundreds off market. So it's getting good at for me direct to seller marketing, and then the conversations, the dialogues, it flipping a whole bunch of homes along the way, and at the same time keeping homes when it made sense. And for me, it made sense buying the correct margin, and then cash flow. So we're in a my my city's weird. We we've got about a dozen suburbs, every different suburb, meaning a different different cities, twelve different cities with twelve different tax codes from a property tax standpoint. Interesting. So they're all wonky. And so understanding that, all right, some of these servers are going to rent better than others, but they have much higher taxes or others are going to rent better and they have lower taxes. So it's understanding what that looks like, because in my world, the tax rate at two and a half to just under 3% of the asset value, you know, depending on how it's assessed can make or break it from a cash flow standpoint for somebody who wants to put leverage on it. If you want to put a ton of cash into it, and leave your cash there, it, you know, it'll work just fine. But well, that fragmentation creates opportunity. I mean, not just that example, but that's one good example of the, you know, the inefficiencies of the marketplace. So you have to know on the other side of it is, well, how do we underwrite this? How do we project this appropriately for this municipality, so to speak? Correct. No, you're exactly right. And so that I started bringing that through on the single family side, just, we talked to before we're getting on the show is, continuing to put some myself in a new environment. All right. How do we, how do we, how do I build out ultimate construction team? How do we remodel? How's it going to go from one to one? What's our standard? And today, you know, the standard is the paint's the same at every house floor is the same at everything else covers the same. I mean, they're the same, the same, the same appliances are the same. <laughs> I mean, just, we just, they're, it's just unified. It's very and simple. as you continue to grow and scale, mm-hmm. it was like, all right, be comfortable being uncomfortable yep. and recognize that it's not going to feel, you know, perfect yep. in any moment. You're going to grow, right. you're going to expand. And then you expanded into other asset classes as well along that trajectory, it, right? It, it, uh, an eight plex uh, was my first expansion into that commercial world, if you will. An eight plex that had gone through a tremendous rain, the bot, it was garden style and four, four, four and four stacked and the bottom four had flooded through through rain coming in i was wondering and, what you meant by that i didn't you were literally yeah. it rain it rained yeah it rained like <laughs> but it rained like um you know like seven to ten inches in like 90 minutes wow a, a rain that is just it hadn't happened in years it, was it in the flood zone no so so the the seller had to get rid of it didn't have the yeah. money to fix it up so they, they just didn't want to. So they, by the time I got involved, all four basement tenants were gone because all their stuff flooded. They cut out the drywall at four feet to prevent any mold. So it just required, and they'd owned it 30 years, great area, solid brick facility. So a lot of positives, but totally, totally, totally untouched in 30 years. So you went Inside. in, you yeah. fix it up, you stabilize yeah. the asset, I'm imagining. How long right. did it take you to stabilize the asset? How long? I mean, did you, you already had your renovation team in place. So Correct. you were buttoned up in terms of vertical integration there? Yep. It was, it was good. It wasn't great. If I was to go back and do it again today, it would be better. We would have, we would have done it faster and I would have done it for less money. Mm-hmm. Right. Would have, would have been quicker. You now never know said, until you go though. I mean, you no, would not, correct. you wouldn't ever be in a position to say that or to be able to do that correct. now, if you didn't do that and make the mistakes that you did. Right. Correct. Yep. You're exactly right. And so when did that, I'm going to say it's about, it was about nine months, let's say from the day I took possession to hundred percent done and full of tenants. Got it. So did because you have the projections I, what, that you expected there? 
what I did right when I bought it was there was four tenants upstairs. I kicked everybody out because the, which most people would never do this. I just kicked everybody out because the, the units haven't been touched in 30 years. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, I say kicked everybody out. I mean, legally, right. Follow, follow the rules. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want to say legally, to, I, once they were all month, they were all, yeah so they were they were they were all month to month they've been month to month for a decade so just give them the notices yeah. and eventually yeah right and because I want to do everything at one time so that way I could get it all done move the rents on the whole thing knowing that I'm going to keep this it wasn't an asset that I'm going to reposition for sale otherwise I may not have done that and I, I wanted to put the financing on the refi back in place and recoup all my money that I was stroking checks for 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 the remodel what the initial financing look like on that before the refi. Oh, you're going to laugh. You remember? Yeah. No money down. Bought this, bought an Aplex for 200 grand, no money down because it appraised well. And then I was doing, I was funding the rehab out of my own pocket, which was about 115,000. Okay. So are we like brothers or something? So the first deal I ever did was eight <laughs> units and uh, I didn't do no money down, but I funded all the rehab myself. And I don't know about you, but I underestimated significantly the rehab and it was like, Oh my, it's, I got something else. Like, wait a minute, yeah. what's going on? Yeah, I mean, did right. you have that same experience? It was or did cl- you it project? Was cl- no, better? I projected it was cl- I mean, it was within about five or 8%. So within about, let's call it 10 grand. It wasn't it wasn't extravagant, but today I know, you know, 115 would have been even, even with price run-ups today, I would have been 15% under because I know enough about the construction and who to hire and, and my team's gotten better. I would have been, I would have saved money. So then once you stabilize the deal, you refinance to a longer term, uh, note there, yeah. or what did that look like? Yeah. I just refinanced the whole thing, pulled my cash out, put it on a, I put it on a 20 year am local so bank, local bank. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Did you have any cash to take out of the deal or you just recoup I, the, the I, capital? I, I could have, I just chose not to. Got it. Got it. So then from there, as you continue to grow, I mean, continue to expand in multifamily, you did other asset classes as well, right? Industrial. And so now my industrial was the next, the next purchase that I bought after that. Uh, subsequent, you know, I just bought an industrial building for my the tail end of last year. So the one I just I bought back then was you know seventeen thousand square feet, sixteen thousand something like that. I just bought another one about the same size. Kind of local tenants, regional tenants. One is a local, the largest local grocer. Another one is a publicly traded company. So both single tenant, triple net leases. So are these warehouses or are these flex buildings or what kind of assets are they? Industrial a warehouse. Yeah, warehouse. One's a one's a bakery. I mean, it is the largest grocer in town and they operate it as a bakery. So That's it's awesome. technically a warehouse, but they run tons of cookies through that thing. Were yeah. these pre-leased or did you buy them yep. spec and then lease them yourself? Yeah, pre- pre-leased. Got it. Yeah, pre-leased. That. I bought a, uh, about a retail uh, place, a strip. I call it neighborhood retail. And so mm-hmm. I would define that differently than retail. And here's how, because, you know, like your Starbucks and th- those, those folks of the world would never put their shop where I am. Mine's, <laughs> mine's, mine's neighborhood. It's, it's in the path of progress. I bought it two and a half years ago. There's a subway there. So franchisees, a Dairy Queen, tiny Dairy Queen. Um, and then, you know, you're like your vet clinic and your local hair place. Um, but it's right in the middle of the, the path of progress. In fact, I just signed the listing documents yesterday. So it'll go live next week for that thing to come for sale. So it'll be the first commercial asset I've ever brought back to market for, for full cycle here, two and a half years later. So you give me a sense of this. I would love to yeah. know yeah. what cap rate did you buy it at? 
And then what cap rate are you exiting at today? So I bought it at uh, about a, let's call it a nine cap, maybe, maybe eight and a half, somewhere in that range. Well, the multifamily investors are shaking their head. Obviously yeah, nine yeah, is not even, yeah, 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 I know. <laughs> not even near the table. I know. I know. So this was, uh, you know, mom and pop, I see mom and pop. I mean, they're a big, big uh, local player owned this, had owned it for years and years and years. And uh, I took it over, went in, changed the management out, just, and it really was, became a management play. How are we, what are we doing from management? That's it. Cause I didn't, I've not put any money into it physically to do anything. Um, I bought that thing. You, you, you'll get a chuck out of this. I bought this thing on contract with these folks. We were both trying to get this done before the end of the year. I bought it on contract to put 10% down and on a, on a 60 day balloon, 60 day balloon, because wow. um, they wanted it off their books and wanted me to full circle. And I said, no, no problem. My lender who I've worked with, I mean, a lot said, no problem. I just can't, I can't get the thing done in three weeks. Like you want to close. And so you give me 60 days, we're not going to have a problem. And so that's what ended up happening. Put 10% down, you end up getting it appraised, appraised for, you know, 10 plus percent greater than what I paid for it. So when they did the refinance, if you will, 60 days later, I did not put any more money down. So all I ended up with was 10% into the deal. So do you manage your assets internally or do you third party or does it depend on the asset and the asset class? Yeah, it depends on the asset and the asset class. The only thing we manage internally, not only thing, I, I, we have nine single families managed internally now. These are like BB plus properties, solid tenants, solid areas, high rents, really good stuff to the point where uh, if we get nine phone calls a year, I'm kind of shocked. It just doesn't, we just don't have... We don't have real issues with those. And then mm -hmm. kind of your, your solid C-class stuff and the apartments, which are good. I'd put them above C, but we don't manage any of those. We third-party that. We do manage, I use that in quotes too. You know, we've got one, two, three, four triple net deals now. Uh, four single tenant triple net deals, which we manage. And I use are that. Are those I national that in, I use credit tenants? Or? I, I use it in quotes because there's not there's not a lot of work that goes into that. Yeah. I mean, typically a triple net deal is pretty hands-off. I mean, are these, are, are these credit tenants national, regional, what type of tenants are you looking at? In yeah. Those? Yeah. One's the bakery, the, the grocer, another's a publicly traded company. So it's credit tenant. And the other ones are two other ones are orthodontists. They're big. They're owned by a private equity company. They've got about 250 plus or minus locations throughout the country in multiple States. So a pretty good tenant. So looking back, I mean, it, it seems like, you know, you've built a very nice, diverse portfolio sure. within your market that, you know, you've got a bunch of different asset classes, different types of tenants that kind of balance each other out in terms of risk, in terms of where they are in the market cycle and so forth. Yeah. Did you know that as you were building the portfolio? And obviously you're continuing to build the portfolio, right. but did you realize that that was a strategy that would play out or were you just looking for good deals? Uh, looking for good deals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because no, they, uh, uh, even on a bad day, a good deal is still a good deal. 100%. Well, and, what is a good deal we, to you? Oh, it, it depends on the time of the year. I say that because, as you know, you alluded to or hit it spot on, is we need depreciation at some point. Yep. So there are times of the year, you, know, you get me into October, November, and I'm going, okay, cool. I don't need a 10% discount anymore. I need a, you know, like, like, for example, I own a Dollar Tree. I, I, I've got a credit tenant. I bought it on a fresh 10 year lease, a building that was remodeled with a brand new roof in, in a killer uh, zip code. I mean, a great, 
a great area. I'm going, cool. I'm good for 10 years with these folks. This'll, this'll pencil. I get double digits, I'm like 14%, 15%, somewhere in that range post-tax cash on cash return. So I'm looking at the, you know, in that case, I'm looking at the, what's my depreciation? How did, how did this play out in year one to know? Otherwise, if I didn't have a depreciation standpoint, I probably wouldn't have bought it. Where are you finding your commercial deals? Are the, are you sourcing these directly? These through your network from you know the real estate yeah, space both, locally or both all all the above through uh, the Aplex. Yeah, the Aplex I bought direct. I've got a fourplex that produces great. Bought that direct, meaning meaning marketing direct to them, and then relationships through brokers too. You know, one of the things as I was getting prepared for our discussion was, you know, just getting familiar with the way that you think about things. And it was interesting as I was, I think I was reading one of your bios or something like that. And and, and you actually, I appreciated this because sometimes it's like we can get into the, the sort of the sophisticated approach and think about, all right, well, where are we projecting things to move forward? And, you know, what's the depreciation look like and all these different things. And like, of course, yeah, we, we should have an understanding of all the different nuances right. and how they play into the bigger picture. But Ultimately, sometimes we got to take it back to the basics. Like, what are the reasons to invest in real estate? And and you you mentioned five of them: it's cash flow, it's taxes, it's appreciation, it's diversification, it's an inflation hedge. So, if you were to expand upon that, I mean, are you? I mean, what are you seeing in terms of your portfolio playing out? Is there anything that you're looking to accomplish more of as it relates to those five reasons? Or, uh, I mean, if you feel pretty balanced. Uh, is there anything I'm looking to accomplish more of? Well, all, all of the above. So cash flow. <laughs> let's let's hit it one by one. First one is cash flow. Yeah, because I want greater greater passive cash flow. So I just went through this an exercise the other day, going, all right, where do we want to be three years from now, five years from now? And for me, it's what do we, how do we produce greater cash flow? I, you know, I want the ability to get paid, like when I close on a deal, and then I want one. the ability. Yeah, and I want to be able to get paid ongoing. And then someday, if I ever choose to sell it, I want to get paid then. Mm-hmm. So how do we do that? And you can't do that flipping houses. Flipping houses, I'm not knocking it because we still do it today. We do a lot of flipping houses. It's the cat, it's the fuel that I got to use to put it into a forever bucket. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing wrong with that. It's just simply, it's just not the holy grail, I think is my critique of it. It generates ongoing yeah. down payment, you know, capital, right? Correct. Yeah. And it's great because you can knock the ball off the cover just like. In, in, you know, we have been this year and certainly last year and the year before and the ability to buy a commercial asset for me and cost second depreciate it allows me to keep the cash that house flipping has produced, mm-hmm. which is the second part, which is taxes, yeah. right? Correct. It's being tax optimized. Yeah. So is there anything? Strategy. Is, yeah. Is there, well, I mean, love them or hate them. It, it doesn't matter. I think we can all agree with this comment. Donald Trump said, if you're in real estate and you're paying taxes, you're doing it wrong. That's right. I mean, that that's that's really what it comes down to is understanding what, you know, you talked about what the rich do different. The rich keep their money. They pay as figuring out how to pay as little as taxes conceivably possible. And that doesn't mean give it all away. It means strategically plan and and invest in asset classes. And this means real estate. Um well, Which understand can, the tax code, like how Correct. is the tax code written? It's written to incentivize certain behavior and Correct. the incentivization comes to a tax benefit or tax benefits. So Correct. it's understanding that. Yep. You're, you're exactly right. And the playbooks, the playbooks there to do it. So just all the information's there to be able to plug in. 
to be able yeah, to you're not a this. you're not a greater patriot by paying more taxes. You know, you're just maybe ignorant in real estate, and so the recon- <laughs> recognition is all right. Well, let's apply some strategy here. It's well, not about how much you make; it's yeah. how much you keep. Yeah, you're a patriot for paying your your uh, what your what is required of you, and I just want what's required of me to be as small as legally possible. And so then of course, appreciation, you know, we're talking about there's market forces at play, which are out of our control. And yeah, Yeah, we all look really smart when appreciation comes our way. You know, you're talking about the the house that you bought five years ago, 173, now it's worth over 300. Some of that is probably, okay, the market has been really good and there's been a lot of stuff happening from the Fed. Uh, But otherwise you can force appreciation as well from a strategic standpoint. You can force appreciation uh, largely in largely in commercial assets. You can somewhat force it through single family homes, but my experience in every asset that I have on the single family side, they will sell for greater dollars to a retail buyer, somebody to move into it than they will ever will to any other investor. So you absolutely can inside of the commercial space because that's how they trade. They trade on on a basis of, from an income approach versus the comp approach. Absolutely. And yeah, it's about, it's being strategic in terms of the way that you lease, the way that you're managing the operations, you know, income and expense, because that ultimately leads to the valuation of the asset. Diversification. When I think about your portfolio, obviously you have diversification in terms of asset types or asset classes, uh, also different tenants, different sub markets. What else would you say about diversification? Yeah, I I think there's pros and cons to it. Uh, I, I ended up there for a couple of reasons. First, I, I just enjoy having to get my head wrapped around something. And once you get your head wrapped around something going, all right, well, an office is like industrial building. I mean, they're, they're about the same. Um, so there's not a lot of moving pieces in many cases to them being, to them being different. Um, and I'm in a tertiary market. So it's not like I have infinite numbers of name, any asset class other than single family home that are available to me. Sure. There's just, there's just not that many. Mm-hmm. So the people, the people I know who own, for, for example, apartments, the people, the guys I know who own the most apartments in the city built them. They didn't go run around and buy them. They built them. Just wasn't enough product available sure. for them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they, they got really good at one uh, that their skill set, their trait. Um, and instead of finding inventory, we, we've got to, hope the market produces opportunities. They just went and created their own. Well, to your point, you know, for the listeners listening, it's like, what we're talking about is, has been your strategy. It doesn't have to be sure. their strategy. That's, there's, that's, there's different, you know, you could be a developer. Yeah. There may not be cash flow day one, right. but there's a different sets of trade-offs and pros and cons. Correct. My strategy has largely been uh, buy right. If you can, if I get my head wrapped around the asset class and it's proper, it's, it's, it's relatively easy to manage. And that just for us as men you know, on the commercial stuff, outsource it to a, to a proper third party when we need to um, buy right management correctly. And then all of a sudden appreciation, you forced appreciation. So let me, let me circle back to the retail piece in which I'm selling. So I paid 818,000 for it. We've reworked management to get it to a point where it produces uh, it's being listed at a seven cap straight seven cap next week at 1,538,000. There it is. Yeah. So that, that brings up that question full full circle because it was a nine cap originally. Plus then there was some meat on the bone in terms of the operation. Correct. And of course you bought right. And maybe there was a spread between the value. I don't know. Maybe the, maybe the market value was a nine cap at that point in time, but maybe it was, maybe you were better. Yeah. Uh, No, that's awesome. I'm going to start calling you buzzword, uh, you know, because 
inflation hedge. I mean, this is this is yeah. a buzzword, right? We've Correct. we've got to be clear on what's happening, right? Inflation is a major issue. I think eight percent, you know, from a CPI is yeah, it's what's reported. Yeah. My my sense is we're talking about at least 10, 12, you know, somewhere in that ballpark, maybe even more than that. Uh, but talk about inflation hedge and why real estate has been effective in that capacity for you. Yeah, it's it's effective and it, you know, I I, I started talking about inflation in two Decembers ago. So, you know, almost a year and a half ago at this point. And I wish I would have bought more and I didn't. Well, you saw it ahead of the wave. I mean, obviously you, I mean, it's pretty straightforward conceptually. If you think about it, it's like more dollars in circulation equals less value of each dollar. Like so it's pretty straightforward. Correct. You're, you're, you're absolutely right about that. And so listen, there's only so many, there's only so many asset classes one can be in that are really good as it relates to inflation. And then just look back in history to see what has produced. So I've spent the better part of the last week on the phone with bankers and accountants and literally hedge fund managers trying to have deeper conversations relative to inflation, relative to what transpired in the 19, you know, kind of the 1975, 76, 77, and how that played out till about 1985, 86. 84, somewhere in that range, mm-hmm. because this is, I mean, this is about what it looks like. The only difference right now in comparison to them, um, our inflation rates the same, but our interest rates, not the last time we had inflation at this number, interest rate was 14% on a 10 year on a 10 year. And now we're sitting at a 10 year treasury that has moved very hard, very fast in the last 60 days. There's a whole bunch of, I, I'm still a broker to this day. Although I don't operate as a as a salesperson, I'm still a broker of a brokerage, and we've got deals falling out because if, if soon as somebody misses their close date and their interest rate expires, I mean it's it's a hundred basis points higher, and yeah. they can't afford the house. And so it is it is a challenge right now um, in that environment. And so that I'll circle back to inflation here in a second, but you know in the last three four days, the the yield curve has been inverted. Right. So, which is generally a sign of a recession coming over in the short term, next one to two years. So I'm very, I'm hyper concerned about inflation and recession. And that means putting money in hard assets. And so anything that would make fiscal sense, meaning I still got a buy ride, I I would buy anything I can get my head wrapped around and buy correctly today. I'd buy it to lock up dollars, extend get as long-term fixed rate debt as I can put on the thing. Cause that's how it's, it's my belief. That's how we'll get out of this. We're going to inflate our way out of this. I agree. And I want to get your sense on the market outlook because yeah, yeah it's, it's a, you know, it, it can be treacherous uh, in yeah. many ways. It's we're certainly in uncharted territory in, in right. many regards, you know, we've got some, some set of circumstances that do rhyme. You mentioned, uh, you know, what, 35 years ago, I mean, we had sure. similar set of circumstances, right. but of course, interest rates were in a totally different, you know, Correct. ballpark. Yeah. Um, you know, will we get there? Can the economy sustain a significant amount of interest rate hikes? I believe not, but I'd love to know just overall what you're seeing in the market. I mean, what opportunities are you seeing? What risks you just mentioned in terms of the way that you're financing deals, the way that you're projecting yeah. the finance deals. I think that's, that's valuable. What are their unknowns? Uh, are you kind of believing are, are on the horizon and then give us some predictions, man, where are you seeing all this heading? Yep. Well, let's, uh, there's a lot to unpack right there. Hit me, hit me with the first two right there and let's go through this piece <laughs> by piece. 
Well, first of all, just a high yeah. level market outlook. I mean, obviously you mentioned yield, yield curve yeah. inversion. Uh, so, right. predi- so prediction, yeah. you know, the smart money says, hey, two years, within two years, we're looking at a recession. Correct. So what does that relate to in terms of the real estate market from your uh, I, I don't think there'll be a lot that changes, although interest rates are rising and you would it's impacting our real rate of return. I don't suspect that cap rates are going to rise uh, step lock because I think there's a tremendous amount of cash in the environment. Yep. Tremendous. And until, until, you know, a whole bunch of cash gets deployed and then all of a sudden you find an equilibrium, you know, maybe that would be more historically accurate um, in the environment Mm -hmm. from, from a, from a pile of cash on the sideline standpoint to the deals that are getting done. Uh, I think, I think investors are now taking it short compared to where they were a year ago and certainly compared to where they were two years ago for a period of time. Mm -hmm. Um, If we find ourselves in a recession, and in people are fearful, I think that's when you'll see cap rates start to move because you saw this in a 2020 through COVID that very uh, although, quickly, although, although, yes, although interest rates were at historical lows, cap rates moved up. So it didn't move step lock it moved the opposite way because there was so much fear in the environment. Fear. Yeah. Yes. Correct. And so that's where I think you may see that, but I, I don't, you know, if they announce a recession, I don't think that means day one, because I just think there's so much cash sitting around that the government has just printed and sent out to all of us. I think it requires you to be bold. I mean, you know, it's, sure. it goes back to your, uh, you know, your your college uh, dream investor, yeah. Mr. Warren yeah. Buffett. He said, when when others are fearful, be greedy. When others are greedy, be fearful. fearful. I mean, the past 14 years, we've seen for the large degree, most people have been very greedy in the real estate business. So it right. hasn't been a ton of opportunities other than insiders and people that are just Correct. willing to do whatever it takes. So yeah. there may be a window of opportunity. The question is, how quickly will that be and how bold will you be? Correct. No, I, I totally agree with you there. It's, and that's why I say, in my mind, you should be able to, with proper debt, proper financial, you know, security on the way into a deal. If you can find a, find a deal, and I don't mean running out and buying a five cap on a triple net deal today, right? I mean, find it, find, find a, an opportunity where there's value, where you can force appreciation somehow, because I think when you build in a, a level of um, risk, a margin of safety, I mean, you're, you're ahead of the curve. What's your prediction? I mean, how is this going to play out over the next, call it one to three years? I yeah. mean, will we see a recession and how prolonged do you yeah. believe that will be? You know, uh, I just, I'm finishing Ray Dalio's book, Changing World Order. And if mm-hmm. you haven't read it, you should, it's good, but it's freaking scary. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what transpires. I'm of the opinion that we as a country have, have printed a tremendous amount of money. We are largely, we're an indebted nation and we're going to have to, you know, if, if, if our country is to stay the superpower continuously, we got to find a way to navigate through the debt that we've got. And I think the, the way out of it's inflation to your, you know, that, that I think that's, from a, from a risk standpoint or, you know, kind of where what's in the back of my mind relative to where, where we're headed and what keeps me up at night, that would be it is going, how, how are we, how do we get out of this? Because I, we may be in wish worse shape than the, the 1980s. And I agree with you. Can our, you know, if we got a 14%, can our economy handle? No, the economy couldn't handle it then either though. No, it's, it's but, been amazing. The conniption fit that we've already seen over the past 30, 45 days. 
with it's it's minimal. they're going they're going they're going higher and if they come lower because the fed's concerned about a, a temporary setback or throwing us in a reception it may come back down and eventually they're going higher because i don't where we're at from a from a borrowing standpoint it's uns, and, and interest rate standpoint it's unsustainable no question about it Neil, I could go on and on, man. I could go on and on for hours, but I want to be respectful of your time. I want to transition to the rapid fire section of the podcast. We call it the rare air questionnaire. Obviously you just mentioned a book there and, and, and I've, it's on my, on my list. I've been uh, looking at that one for a while, uh, changing world order. Um, so thank you for that. But are are there other, uh, give me a sense of other books that have been impactful for you recently, maybe over the past couple of years, two or three of the books that have really changed the way that you've thought about things. Uh, you know, the biggest one that changed my life, I was, uh, 24 years old. I read it, the millionaire mind by Dr. Thomas J. Stanley. He wrote the millionaire next door. Uh, but the millionaire mind has completely changed the way I look and the way I behaved and still to this day, it's a a tremendous book. What's one of the big takeaways from that? Is it just maybe just the way that you view the world? I haven't read the book, but I'm just curious. Yeah, the way I view the world, the way the way one thinks, the way he was able to identify millionaires, put them in the context again, so so it's not nebulous. So he could he could he painted an avatar. So in my mind, I could go, oh, that's like John who lives on the corner. I know exactly what what Dr. Stanley's describing in terms of how a millionaire walks, acts, thinks, what business, what what line of work they're in statistically. And tremendous, you know, much like how rich dad, poor dad got, has gotten so many people out of that, you know, the job into that of a business owner. That's what millionaire mind did for me. Yeah. It's like, once you see it, you can't unsee it and everything then is framed in that regard. So that's valuable. Are there any other books that have been super valuable for you? The richest man in Babylon. I had my kids, my children, I have three of them. I had them read that, paid them to read it. If you read it, if you read it, if you read it and write me a book report. Oh, that's awesome. Give me a two page report. So I want to understand. And then we're going to, that's a takeaway for me. I've got two babies, so I'll have them do that when they can read, but there you go. I like that. Oh, it's, it's, it's wonderful that. And then how about my, my favorite book in real estate, uh, is confessions of a real estate entrepreneur. I don't quote my, I don't recall the author. What a wonderful story. His, his ability to give like case studies, but weave them through conversational, uh, stories. So good. My brother, Forget, forget, I'll, I'll make this brief. My brother was thinking about getting into real estate about, say, five years ago or so. And uh, came to me and said, hey, you know, hey, big brother, I've been thinking about doing what you do. Uh, I'm, he's, a, he's a licensed attorney. He's going, I, it's time. I'm two years into this. It's time for me to make a change. I got to do something else. And I said, hey, I know you well enough to know you are not going to like what I do in, the, <laughs> in, the, in this world. But I said, you should think about going into commercial real estate. So I, I bought him the book, sent him the book. He read it in a weekend. And five years, you know, five years, almost to the day he's in commercial real estate. Absolutely love it. Doing, doing just fantastic. That's awesome. That's awesome. We'll put links in the show notes as to where the listeners can find those books as well as by the way, the book that you wrote, uh, land a unicorn.com. So tell us a little bit about that book. Yeah. I'm going to show it to you. They go, yeah, unicorn hunting for real estate investment companies, how to easily attract screen and land a unicorn uh, It's the complete hiring funnel. I mean, at, at the end of the day, if you want to go fast, go alone, you want to go far, go together. Uh, I was at a point where, you know, three years ago, two years ago, somewhere in that range, it was like, all right, so how do we, 
we're having success, but how do I bolt these things on? How do I, how do I get employees in? And I've, I've hired literally like the worst employees in the face of the earth. And I, 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 I won't Same go here, into man. it because I know we've had a long conversation here, but there's, there's a story in the book about literally like terribleness. And so that, that eventually over a period of time forced me to go, how, how do we do it right? How do I do it right? What kind of person am I as a leader, as a person that other people want to be around? Um, and where's the business going? And, and that led me to having to put the structure and the systems in place to hire correctly, then hiring correctly, what I call landing a unicorn, that perfect person for the, for the, the exact right person that matches your core values, your culture, and who's perfect for the role. So must have both. Um, and then was able to do it, was able to replicate it, was able to replicate it again. And that's where we've gotten so much growth out of our ability to, you know, my team's ability to hire people, hire the right people and put them in the right, the right spot. And this, this industry has been so good to me. I literally, I was like, I, I wanted to share this 80% of the, the book is almost like standard operating procedure SOP. You can hand it off to somebody else in your office, hand it off to hand it off to a VA. Um, and almost all of it can be, can be done by somebody else. My impact or my time input to, to hiring today is negligible. That's awesome. Well, I can't wait to read it myself. And I couldn't think of anything more important, really, you know, if you want to go far, you know, like you said, yeah. you, you got to go with a great team. And, uh, you know, I don't know about you, it sounds like you've made tremendous decisions, uh, tremendously bad decisions on your team in the oh, past. And yeah. I have as well. I'm sure many of the listeners can resonate with that. But, you know, let's let's find the right people. And um, no, thank you for that. What's well, the, the average way to you? Hey, the average cost of a wrong hire is 15,000 bucks. That's and I can crazy. Tell you, I can tell you it cost me way more than that. I was gonna say, I feel um, like I've <laughs> cost me more. So you mentioned the link. I mean, find it on Amazon again, bad hires, 15 grand, the book's 50 bucks on Amazon, but uh, you know, I want to do something for your show for the, for your audience. So land a unicorn.com. It's just pay the shipping handling. It's, it's under 10 bucks. Just pay the shipping. We'll send it out to you. Awesome. That's awesome. What's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis, Neil? Yeah. Uh, giving thanks. I mean, and that by that, I mean, telling people I'm, I'm thankful for them. I'm grateful for them, that people, personal friends, family, and certainly my team too. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you? Mm, by, by honoring my word, doing what I, doing what I say that I'll do. It, it elevates them because they know they can trust and confide in me. And at the same time, uh, they, they, they elevate themselves to live to emulate somebody who goes, Oh, that's something I want to be like. That's somebody I want to be like. And I obviously did that through, through modeling other people to go, I want to be like that guy. What are all the traits that person has? Mm -hmm. yeah. Neil, man, this has been fun. And it's been fun to be able to dive into not only understanding your investment thesis, your strategy, yeah. the way that you've been able to build your portfolio, your business, build your team. Uh, I know we just scratched the surface in many ways, but yeah. this has been a really, really fun conversation. Is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation today? Well, I think you, I mean, hats off to you. You do a great job in, in your, your questioning. And I think I add tremendous value to the audience here. Um, no, I, you know, decide where you want to go. That would be my parting thought here. Decide where you want to go, find a person or a model that can, that has been there, done that and, and make it happen for yourself. And so for, from our standpoint, from our team, we're migrating largely out of single family from a, from a buy and hold standpoint and moving faster and further into commercial, being able to leverage what it is that we do really, really well, leverage our talents to be able to, to buy, manage and asset manage correctly. Um, 
and, and for us, that's, that's where we're at for our, for the chapter of, of our life, of our, of our business, our team's life. And so I would encourage the same thing, just decide where you want to go. And if it's not drawn a path and that's not really where you want to be, it's okay. You can, you can, there's no right or wrong answer. There's only what's right for you. So I encourage you to find, find somebody, find the team, find the structure and plug into the new path you want to be on. Well said, my friend. It's in the moment of decision. It's in our moments of decision mm -hmm. where our destiny is shaped. So decide and go after it. Man, Neil, thank you so much. Uh, Thanks, the listeners Tyler. can find you at LegacyImpactPartners.com or on Facebook, Neil J. Timmons, uh, or on LinkedIn. Is there anywhere else where the listeners can find you, my friend? Those are the best spots. You got it. Awesome. Neil, until next time, talk to you Thanks, soon. Thanks, Tyler. See you soon. See you, buddy. Elevate Nation, I hope you had as much fun as I did. And I'm going to keep this brief. What are your distinctions? What are your takeaways? What did you learn? What was something that surprised you from today's episode? Go ahead and jot those down and share those with a friend. Have a discussion with someone else because we learn more when we discuss. We also learn twice as much when we listen. Again, repetition, again, is the mother of all skill. So I encourage you to listen to this episode again. But ultimately, the most important part is make a commitment to take massive action. I say it every single time. But ultimately, there's something that moved you today. And I want to encourage you to capture that moment, capture that opportunity to take action. Elevate Nation, thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, thank you so much, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.